Hello again and welcome back to Hungry for History. Today I'm going to continue my series that's on amazing women who managed to wield a lot of power despite the laws and attitudes of the time and places in which they live forbidding them from holding power. And the woman who we're going to talk about today is Cleopatra VII. This is my second episode in a row about ancient Egypt because I could easily make 20. Cleopatra VII is very famous, partly because she was the last pharaoh Egypt ever had, but also because she was a woman with a lot of diplomatic skills who managed to wield a lot of power. In order to talk about Cleopatra, we have to give some context of the dynasty that she lived in. You may remember from my last episode that Egypt had 30 dynasties of indigenous rulers who were Egyptian people who ruled starting in about 3100 BCE. In this last dynasty of Egypt, we're no longer talking about indigenous pharaohs. So this is no longer the 30 dynasties. This is a brand new thing, still ancient Egypt, called the Hellenistic period of ancient Egypt. And it's called that because the pharaohs who ruled Egypt weren't actually Egyptian, they were Macedonian Greeks. They were the last dynasty and they ruled from 305 to 30 BCE. So here's how that happened. Alexander the Great, who you may have heard of, was this Macedonian ruler who was one of the best military commanders in the history of the entire world. So the reason he became the Great is because he conquered the whole world. And by the whole world, I do mean more specifically the Middle East, West Asia, North Africa, the Greek Empire, and like half of India, which definitely was not the whole world, but was a lot of the powerful world at the time. He conquered that by doing some fast wars and never losing a single battle until 323 BCE, when he was celebrating his victories, drank a bunch of wine, and keeled over and died. Maybe he was poisoned, or maybe he just wasn't cut out for alcoholism and got sick. We're not entirely sure. All we know is Alexander snuffed it, and that left this huge power vacuum, because he'd just created about the largest empire that the world had ever seen up until that point. After Alexander, there was no one person who could rule over this massive empire, because he was great, and most people are just ordinary. So his generals divided up the empire amongst themselves. One guy named Ptolemy, who was Alexander's best general and maybe also his half-brother, was appointed the satrap of Egypt, which is a Persian way of saying governor, and declared himself pharaoh in 305 BCE. So he controlled Egypt for a while from 323 to 305 and eventually just decided to go all the distance and call himself pharaoh. You'd think that the Egyptian people would be bothered by this, but actually they'd been under brutal rule for a while. They'd had a couple of centuries of invasions and being forced into servitude and things like that. And so they actually saw the Greek rulers as their saviors. So Ptolemy, when he took over Egypt and declared himself pharaoh, took the name Ptolemy I Soter, which means savior. Eventually also, after about a century of this Macedonian Greek rule of Egypt, the Ptolemaic dynasty pharaohs adopted more Greek customs. Most importantly of those customs would be inbreeding. <laughs> um, if you recall from my last episode, the Egyptians were a big fan of marrying brother to sister when possible to preserve the bloodline of the royal family. They didn't know back then how genetics worked. They didn't know that that was 
definitely doing some wonky things to the genes of their pharaohs. All they saw was purity of royal bloodlines. Because the pharaohs of the Ptolemaic dynasty weren't indigenous Egyptians, they brought with them some of their own quirks. One of these was that they were really, really uncreative in naming their children. They named basically every single son who was ever born into this dynasty Ptolemy, after the first Ptolemy. So you can imagine, first of all, that this makes history kind of frustrating and confusing because there's so many Ptolemies to keep track of. But also that would explain why we call it the Ptolemaic dynasty, because basically every male pharaoh who took the throne was called Ptolemy. Now, I say male pharaoh because another quirk of the Ptolemaic dynasty was that its women were more powerful than a lot of the dynasties that had preceded it. Now, the women of the Ptolemaic dynasty weren't named very creatively either, but at least they had more options than the men. Rulers would name their daughters one of three names, Cleopatra, Berenice, or Arsinoe. There's basically no female ruler from this time who held a lot of power who wasn't named one of those things. But frequently, the women of this dynasty reigned jointly with pharaohs, and sometimes they were queens regnant who reigned on their own. That's why Cleopatra, the really famous Cleopatra, is really called Cleopatra VII. There were enough Cleopatras before her who held enough power to be considered rulers that they were given the numbers 1 through 6. So we're going to skip ahead after Ptolemy I, like 200 years. We're going to go to Cleopatra's father, who was Ptolemy Twelfth, and he reigned from 80 BCE to 58 BCE. Now, another thing that the Ptolemaics brought with them from Europe was the tendency to constantly kill and murder each other and stab each other in the back. They definitely brought that over. It was not as big in Greece as I would say it was in Rome, where being a Roman emperor was actually really dangerous. They were constantly murdering each other, poisonings, assassinations, stabbings. It was actually very dangerous to be emperor, and I don't think it was a job that many of us would actually want. In the later Ptolemaic dynasty, it was dangerous to be pharaoh too. The politics and brutality of this dynasty were really complex, arguably more so than other Egyptian dynasties had been. Lots of people were killing and exiling and marrying their family members for power. So that's sort of the context for the early life of Ptolemy XII, Cleopatra's dad. I'm not going to talk a lot about his early life, because genealogically and politically, it is absurdly complicated. But suffice it to say, he was illegitimate. He was definitely the son of Ptolemy IX, who was a pharaoh, but he was either the son of one of Ptolemy's uncrowned sisters, so a secondary wife, or the son of a prostitute. So because of that, even though he was the eldest son of Ptolemy IX, he had to fight his brother, Ptolemy X, who was legitimate, for the throne. Ptolemy X didn't get to rule very much because Ptolemy IX, their father, had been ruling, and then his daughter, a half-sister of Ptolemy Twelfth, Berenice III, stole his throne. Berenice then went on to marry a cousin or a nephew, we're not sure, some family member guy, who was named Ptolemy, Ptolemy Eleventh, because he ruled with her for like 10 days, and then he killed her. And then someone killed him. And after all that mess, Ptolemy Twelfth showed up and took the throne. So, yeah, that's a lot of Ptolemies, but unfortunately there's even more. Ptolemy XII's brother, also called Ptolemy, obviously, 
became the king of Cyprus, which is an island south of Turkey that Egypt controlled when Ptolemy XII took the throne. Ptolemy of Cyprus, we'll call him, will matter later. So back to Ptolemy XII. He married a family member, as pretty much all the Ptolemies of the recent past had, probably a sister. Her name was Cleopatra V. And she and he had some kids who were very important to this story. Between them, they had one or two Cleopatras, one Berenice, one Arsinoe, and two Ptolemies, so either three or four daughters and two sons. And of these either five or six kids, all of them died violently. Now, I say five or six because we're kind of having a situation like Nefertiti and Neferneferuatan from my last episode. We know that there was a ruler who assumed rule for a little while named Cleopatra Tryphena. She's called Cleopatra VI, but we're not sure if Cleopatra Tryphena was the daughter of Ptolemy XII or actually his wife, Cleopatra V. So it's possible that Cleopatra V, who we know existed, and Cleopatra Tryphena, who might have been Ptolemy's daughter, are just the same person. And it was the wife of Ptolemy who ruled after him. What we do know is that mom, Cleopatra V, disappeared in 69 BCE, either because she was dead or because she's this Cleopatra, Cleopatra Tryphena VI. And so all of the accounts of Cleopatra Tryphena are just Cleopatra V again. So we're just going to call this Cleopatra, who may have been Ptolemy's daughter, Cleopatra VI. So that's one of his kids, maybe. He also had Berenice, later Berenice IV, Cleopatra, the famous one, the seventh, and Arsinoe, Arsinoe IV, eventually. Those were his daughters. His daughters were all born first. Then he had two sons. They were named Ptolemy and Ptolemy. So Ptolemy, eventually the 13th, the young, and Ptolemy, eventually the 14th, the younger. I'll do my best to keep that straight for you. But let's go back to Ptolemy the 12th. Ptolemy XII, as a pharaoh, was not impressive. He spent a lot of his reign just totally screwing up. Rome was really powerful, and Ptolemy's ruling decisions were all pro-Rome in order to protect himself and Egypt. In 60 BCE, Julius Caesar, Pompey, and Crassus, three powerful Roman guys, linked up to form a government thing called the First Triumvirate, which was basically an informal political alliance that pretty much meant they were in charge of Rome. Rome had been wanting to annex Egypt, which means take it over, for a while, but hadn't done it yet. So Ptolemy went to Rome to basically beg them to be nice to him and promise that he could stay king. He bribed them with 6,000 talents, which is a form of money that basically amounted to the entire annual income of Egypt. And Caesar made him an official friend of Rome because he bribed them with so much. Now, Caesar wasn't that nice to Ptolemy XII's brother, Ptolemy of Cyprus. In 58 BCE, the Romans took Cyprus. So Ptolemy's brother Ptolemy, who'd been ruling there, committed suicide. And Ptolemy XII did exactly nothing in response to that. So after he bribed the heck out of Rome with a bunch of Egyptian money and ignored the loss of Cyprus, which was an Egyptian territory, the Egyptian people were getting pretty pissed off at him. The Alexandrians, who lived in Alexandria, which was the ruling seat of Egypt at this time, revolted and forced him out into exile. So his daughters, maybe Cleopatra VI, and his definite daughter, Berenice IV, took the throne in his absence. 
After three years of exile in 55 BCE, Ptolemy did what he did best and bribed the Romans. He paid them 10,000 talents. So earlier I said 6,000 was Egypt's annual income. He now paid them 10,000 talents. That's an absurd amount of money to invade Egypt for him and restore his throne. Cleopatra Tryphena VI was dead by then. Unknown cause, so make up some cool death for her in your mind. When Ptolemy got back to Egypt, he turned on his daughter, Berenice, who he basically left the throne to on purpose anyway, so it wasn't really her fault, and executed her for taking over his throne. She was only 18. He was a very loving father. After that, basically, he was a Roman puppet until he got sick. When he got sick, he made Cleopatra VII, his eldest remaining daughter and definitely the smartest of his children, his co-regent. He died in 51 BCE after managing to accomplish exactly nothing and leaving Egypt in total financial ruin. Excellent pharaoh. Now we'll come to some brother-sister marriages. We love hearing about those. Ptolemy the Young, the 13th, was 11 when Ptolemy the 12th died. He was married then to Cleopatra VII, which was what Ptolemy wanted in his will, Ptolemy XII, and supposedly Ptolemy XIII and Cleopatra VII were equal rulers. But Cleopatra was older, smarter, and much more popular. Her face was on coins, her name was the one written on royal decrees, and eventually that started to wound Ptolemy XIII's pride. So he conspired with a eunuch named Pothinus, to get rid of Cleopatra. They killed some important Romans, started a civil war, and Cleopatra had to flee to Syria for a while. Then, to make it even more complicated, their sister Arsinoe started to also claim the throne as Arsinoe IV. At some point, Caesar showed up in Egypt. He was mad because Ptolemy XIII and his eunuch friend Pothinus had murdered a bunch of Caesar's homies. So he teamed up with Cleopatra instead, and they became lovers. Ooh. Ptolemy decided that with the Romans on Cleopatra's side, stuff wasn't looking too good for him. So he teamed up with his sister Arsinoe IV, and that also didn't work. When Cleopatra showed up in 47 BCE with Caesar's help and retook Alexandria, he tried to escape by crossing the Nile River, and drowned in it instead. So Ptolemy Thirteenth is dead. Arsinoe was captured not long after that, eventually executed sometime in her 20s. Ptolemy the Young, when he died, was only 15. Cleopatra was now the undisputed ruler of Egypt, but just in case, because her siblings had been proving to be troublesome, she married her other brother Ptolemy, the Younger, who was now Ptolemy Fourteenth. It was a very happy marriage, obviously, because it lasted about three years. He was 12 and didn't do anything. Caesar, famously, was stabbed to death in 44 BCE. And Cleopatra was mad about it and totally sick of her siblings by this point. So she poisoned her brother Ptolemy Fourteenth, and he died, just like Ptolemy the Young also aged 15. You'd think the name was cursed, but somehow they kept naming kids Ptolemy anyway, because when Cleopatra had a kid with Caesar in 47 BCE, before he died, she named him Ptolemy Caesar. Very original. He's nicknamed Caesarian, so that's what we'll call him, because I don't know about you, but I've had enough of all these Ptolemies. When Caesar got stabbed, 
Cleopatra tried to make her son Caesarian the emperor of Rome. But that didn't happen, probably because he was three years old and totally useless. So instead, the Roman Empire began with Caesar's grandnephew Octavian, which is a story for another episode. Another reason that Cleopatra killed off her last sibling was so that she could make her son Caesarian her new co-ruler. Again, he's three, so she's still very much in charge, but tying the throne to a male ruler helps calm things down in Egypt. This is still a relatively patriarchal society. Cleopatra was the best of all the Ptolemaic rulers at winning over the Egyptian people because she made the most attempts to acknowledge and adhere to Egyptian culture. Just an example of that is that all of the Ptolemaic rulers spoke Greek, but she was the only one who ever learned native Egyptian too. So after Caesarian was made her co-ruler, Caesar was dead, Rome was figuring itself out, Cleopatra's Egypt and Rome were both a mess of factions and politics and wars for a few years. It was enough to make your brain hurt. So I'm not going to do too much detail there. The only other Roman who you need to know is Mark Antony. He was a Roman guy, he was powerful, and Cleopatra decided that he was a total stud, and the Egyptian people liked him too. So she decided that she needed more heirs, and Mark Antony was the guy to produce them. In 40 BCE, they had twins, and she didn't name either of them Ptolemy. Alexander Helios was the name of her son. She named him after Alexander the Great, and the Greek sun god, Helios, and her daughter she named Cleopatra Selene II, so another Cleopatra, but at least one of her kids got a new name. Mark Antony was off doing a bunch of war and politics at this point, like rich, bored men do, and in order to make himself more powerful in Rome, he ended up making a political agreement where he had to marry a Roman girl named Octavia. Not only did he do that, he fathered two children on Octavia, which really pissed Cleopatra off for a while, but she still gave birth to another one of Mark Antony's sons, who she named Ptolemy. His name was Ptolemy Philadelphus. One of the reasons Cleopatra is such a famous ruler is because she was a very gifted arguer. She had a lot of diplomatic skills, and she could speak very well and make great, convincing arguments. One of these was, eventually, she convinced Mark Antony to divorce Octavia for her. Slight issue, though. This Roman lady Octavia was the sister of Octavian. You know, that guy who was, like, emperor of Rome. So Mark Antony divorces Octavia, Octavia is scorned, and Rome declares war on Egypt. This also gave a bunch of other small ancient kingdoms who Cleopatra and Mark Antony had been conquering and annoying a chance to fight Egypt, too. Cleopatra started to groom her son Caesarian to take over at this point. We're now in 31 BCE, and Caesarian was 13. In 30 BCE, for some reason, Cleopatra decided to pull a Romeo and Juliet. She hid in her tomb. Remember, pharaohs did that. They built themselves these massive tombs before they died. And she sent Mark Antony a message that she'd committed suicide, which she had not done. So Mark Antony committed suicide. Octavian, the Roman emperor, then took over Alexandria, captured her three youngest kids, and told Cleopatra that she'd be going back to Rome with him to be humiliated and good stuff like that that she could look forward to. So then Cleopatra really did commit suicide on August 10th of the year 30 BCE. 
she either poisoned herself or took advantage of the fact that there are a ton of killer snakes in Egypt, which is the way cooler story, and let herself get bitten by an asp or a cobra. With Cleopatra's death, not only did the Ptolemaic dynasty come to an end, but ancient Egypt as a whole. Egypt became part of the Roman Empire and was never really powerful again. Cleopatra's son, Caesarion, escaped to Upper Egypt and ruled there for exactly 18 days before Octavian executed him. So he doesn't really count as another ruler of the Ptolemaic dynasty. Unfortunately, we don't know exactly what happened to Cleopatra's other three kids, the one she had with Mark Antony. But they were never powerful, and they were held in Rome until their deaths, whenever those were. So this story of Cleopatra doesn't really paint her as the strongest female ruler Egypt ever had. I would argue that that was Hatshepsut of the 18th dynasty. But it is worth noting that Cleopatra managed to keep a struggling empire afloat through political alliances and befriending powerful people a lot longer than her dad, who had basically consigned it to death, probably could have hoped for. So in her own way, she really was quite a mighty pharaoh and definitely an impressive woman. If you'd like to know more about ancient Egypt, please go to my website, hungryforhistory.net, where you'll find pictures of Egypt's female pharaohs, and soon there will be a lot of cultural things about Egypt up there as well, things about Egypt's gods, its drawings, its art styles, lots of interesting stuff to check out. My next episode, we're going to talk about another female ruler of history who I'll bet you haven't heard of. Her name was Jahanara, and she ruled in the Mughal dynasty of India. So I'm really excited to get to explore a new part of the world with you guys. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.